All right, so we need to make a heart right here. We need to make a heart right going from renewing vows to violence. That's a hard right, hard right. Um, as you know, we've been walking through the book of Titus, but we've been walking through the book of Titus in a topical way. We've been taking topics that we see in the book of Titus, and we have been um, just kind of unearthing some of those topics. So we've done arrogance, and we've done humility, and today we will do violence. So a Florida man was jailed for assaulting another man, but he was jailed and not, not because the conflict was over a woman or it was a debt that was owed or uh, about a sports team. It wasn't about that at all. According to the Facebook post, Lee County Sheriff's Office, um, they, Justin Garcia was charged with aggravated battery um, because he had an altercation with his cousin. He ended up hitting his cousin in the side of the forehead, pulled out a knife, and chased him around the yard. Now, you might ask, what was this fight about? It wasn't about, it wasn't about a debt owed. It wasn't about a woman. It wasn't about fandom over a team. It wasn't about that at all. You know what it was about? It was over whether almond milk was superior to whole milk. <laughs> that, that's what they were fighting about. And, and it's a dumb argument anyway. Everybody knows that rice milk is superior to all of them. Fight me. Come on, fight me. <laughs> this, this, is, this is interesting is that this, this argument about milk probably wasn't about milk at all. I, I would imagine that the arguing and the quarreling and the disputing and the physical altercation that ensued it's probably because there was unrestrained violence in both their hearts. I mean, that's, that's really where it comes from. It just doesn't just happen. There, there is something running wild in the human heart that is looking for an opportunity to express itself in violence. Friends, listen, we are living in a world, we're living in a world, Van Gogh's, right? Van Gogh's Starry Night. We are living in a world that's swirling with violence, that's swirling with chaos, that's swirling with turbulence. We are in the midst of Van Gogh's Starry Night, and there are pinpoints of hope and peace, but for the most part, the hope and peace is being swallowed up by the swirling nature of violence in our world. And we ache, we ache for the raising of Lazarus. We ache for peace. We ache for the joy. We ache for the hope that comes with Van Gogh's yellows. The reality is our world is broken and full of bullies. 
Now, I need to warn you, I need to warn you that, that there is a level of heaviness with this message, and just because we're talking about something that we see all the time, something that causes us angst and ache, something that maybe even we've experienced as individuals. Maybe you have been bullied, and maybe you have had some level of violence exacted against you, and this is not about triggering. This is not about you and I reliving some of the pain that we've experienced. It is talking about how do we as followers of Jesus deal with violence in our world. And this is the reason why Paul had to tell Titus that when you, get ready to, when you get ready to develop and equip and raise up new leaders, they should be a certain kind of leader. Paul tells Titus to select and equip men, leaders who are not bullies and who practice violence, the leaders who lead the church, should not be brawlers, should not be bullies, should not be fighters. They should not use and abuse their power and authority to overpower the weak and the vulnerable. This is what Paul tells Titus. This is Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Page 998, if you're looking on the Bible that the church provides, it says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard. Here it is, or violent or greedy for gain. We'll talk about that next week. Leaders should be submitted to the power of the Spirit of God as they shepherd God's people. Leaders should not be bullies and brawlers. They should not look for a fight and pick a fight on the vulnerable ones, the ones they are trying to help lead to God. Now, I know that there are individuals who are listening to me right now. You have either been part of a church where the leaders emotionally and physically and maybe even spiritually abused you and your family. And you got out of there as quickly as possible. Again, this is not about triggering. Holy Spirit, would you cover our time today? Cover our time because I I want you to be present as we talk about this. In short, shepherds and leaders shepherd the people of God, not physically abuse them, not emotionally abuse them, Leaders should be self-controlled, under the Spirit's control. The true leaders of God lead people to God, not away from God. Now, now this is true of leaders, but this, is, this should be also true of every follower of Jesus. That you and I should not be brawlers, you and I should not be uh, uh, bullies and fighters, picking fights and, um, and, and senseless, um, exacting senseless violence on others. So when we talk about violence, what are we talking about? Here's the definition. Unrestrained physical or verbal force designed to hurt others or to gain mastery over them. 
It is, it is this idea that there's something going on unrestrained, untamed in my heart, and it's running wild looking for an opportunity to hurt someone. Friends, our, our world is broken. I remember when I was doing martial arts and I had, uh, had become fairly good at martial arts. I had won trophies for kata and fighting and, and I thought I was halfway decent, but I was an immature martial artist because Tanya and I, we would go out on dates and we would go to the mall and we would go to certain places and I was just hoping someone <laughs> would say something to me. I was hoping that they would say something cross to Tanya so I could put my money to work. (laughs) So I could put my uh, expertise in martial arts to work. I would imagine you probably feel the same way. I'm telling you, even the preacher is broken and in need of God's mercy. Our world is broken. Our world is corrupt. You're going to see pictures on the screen. And these pictures remind us of how broken our world is arson, racism, automatic weapons in the hands of the, again, please hear me, this is not a message about the Second Amendment or pacifism, but guns in the hands of people whose who, has un, who, who have unrestrained and untamed brutality and force in their hearts. They take another, another's life. Violence in local and, uh, local and state and national government. Like, like there, that these are the pictures, these are the images, and more that, 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 that face us every single day. Child trafficking, bullying in schools, and bullying at work, and bullying in the church. Literally, these are the images, and these are the moments that we, we see, and we viscerally feel deep in our heart. And there is something in us that just simply wants to scroll, scroll, scroll. Or we blind our eyes to what's happening. Listen, my friends, This is our world, and surprisingly and shockingly, one of the places we see and hear about violence is in the Bible. And one of the reasons I believe the Bible, the Bible is a realistic book. 
It is a realistic book that sometimes look at life at its worst. This is the reason, some people might say, well, this is the reason I don't believe the Bible because there's so much violence, but this is the reason I believe the Bible. The Bible is not sanitized, it's not pristine. It shows us the reality of human life. It shows us the depths of depravity of the human heart that's lurking in your heart, that's lurking in my heart. This is part of the reason I believe the Bible. Acts of violence in the Bible are promoted by the same uh, reasons that, they, uh, that we see violence in our world. It's through bravado and anger and revenge and judgment and most of all, the depravity and degeneration of human beings like you and me. Our world is broken. Our world is broken, and we see it on the pages of Scripture. Brothers killing brothers. A king in the Bible literally forced to watch his kids die. Children being killed. Pregnant women ripped open. Women are raped and gang raped to the point of death. Broken. Stabbings and beheadings and torture. Mutilations and bodies cut into pieces and eyes gouged out and skulls punctured and people crushed by big rocks and people killed for their clothing, hangings and mutilated bodies displayed as trophies, people trampled on beyond recognition, people destroyed by wild beasts, entire groups of people massacred, people enslaved, sawn in two, stoned, innocent people killed. Broken. In your neighborhood and mine, broken. This, this, is, this is the reality in which we live. It is a book of realism. Broken world, God made this world perfect, and yet Adam and Eve, their sin, their sin was passed down to every human being, you and me, and this is the reason why there is brokenness in our world, and what are we to make of this? And individuals asking the question, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Where was God when that seven-year-old girl was taken by the FedEx driver and killed? Where was God? Where was God when the uh, the students were shot up in the schools? Where was God? Where was God when the individuals in Idaho lost their lives? Where, Marvin, where was God? In the midst of all of this violence, Marvin, where is God? 
in the midst of babies being aborted. God, Marvin, where is God? I don't fully understand all of God's plan. Human beings still have agency making choices. And yet I do know this, I do know this in your notes that God despises violence. That God hates violence. Violence. Look at, listen to uh, Psalm 11, verse 5. We, uh, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the ones who love violence. Now, we know that God loves all of humanity, yet the psalmist expresses how God feels about violence. God despises violence that comes from the heart and hands and the mouths of humanity. Where is God when violence happens? I don't know all of his plan. I don't know why he allows it. I do know that God hates the killings. He hates the murders. He hates the assaults. He hates the verbal and emotional abuse when it It happens in our world. He hates the rapes and the gangrene. He weeps when it happens. He weeps with you and he weeps with me. He weeps with that family that lost their seven-year-old daughter. He weeps. I know know that much. He, He weeps. Jeremiah 22 and 3, it says, thus says the Lord, um, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Again, we see that not only God weeps, but he desires to fight for the vulnerable. He desires to fight for the marginalized. He desires that the weak be protected from the violence and abuse of the strong. The abuse of the strong. There is a collective and corporate responsibility that you and I have is to, is to actually work for the shalom of God in our broken world. That you and I partner with the God of the universe. And when he weeps, we weep. We, we weep with him. And he fights for righteousness. We fight for righteousness. Ezekiel 45 and 9, thus says the Lord, O God, enough, O princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord. I don't know where God is in all of the violence that we see, but I do know that he weeps, he despises it, he hates senseless violence that comes from your hands and mine and the hands of people that we see in our communities. Marvin, there has to be more, there has to be another answer, there has to be more of an answer to this than just that God weeps. Well, he answers, he does answer, and he answers with a paradox. God answers the violence in our world with a paradox. And here it is. So when, when we look at the violence in the Bible, when we look at the violence in our world, God does have an answer. But it's a paradoxical answer. And what I mean by that. He actually uses violence to deal with violence. 
Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute, Marvin. You mean to tell me that I can now fight, right? You just gave me permission to fight. No, that is not what I'm talking about. The violence that God uses is a beautiful violence. And I want to show it to you. I want you to turn over to, it's going to be on the screen, but I want you to turn it over, turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. This is such a beautiful and disturbing paradox. This is an Old Testament prophecy that looks down the corridor of time and history and shows us this paradox. Isaiah 53 says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And I want you to listen to the words of violence that shows up in this text. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before, uh, like, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened Opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for this, for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, he's innocent. And there was no deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put on, he has put him to grief. When his, soul's make it, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many 
and makes intercessions, intercession for transgressors. Like Marvin, that's a lot of words. What in the world does that mean? Well, Isaiah, the prophet of God, looks down the corridor of time and he sees Messiah. He sees the one who would carry the sins of humanity. He sees the one that would restore what was broken in the Garden of Eden. He sees the one that would restore life and peace. He sees the one that would restore what God's God's original intention. The one that Isaiah sees is none other than Jesus Christ himself, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life and one day they placed him on a cross they placed him on a cross he became a curse for the cursed ones like you and me he suffered a violent death for the violence in our hearts he suffered a violent death for the violence in our world this is God's paradoxical answer to violence in our world he takes his son and he takes our violence and he takes our sin and he takes our deceit and he takes our gossip and he places it on an innocent man named Jesus and Jesus gladly takes the violence in his body why because he loved us because he loved us you said well Marvin I'm not so bad I didn't murder anybody well violence is in your heart as well He died for that as well. He died for the lies, the white lie and the little black lie. He he died for the big lie and the small lie. He died on the cross for your violence and mine. So it's interesting that God takes the beautiful violence of the cross, the death of his son, and he gives us life. Out of death comes life. Out of violence comes peace. And God did it for you and for me. This, this is, this is the paradox of the cross. This is the beauty of the cross that there is an exchange that happens. That we give him Our violent brokenness. And he says, give it to me all. Give me me all of it. The one that's lurking in your heart. Give me the violence that's been uh, exacted toward you. Give me the violence that you have exacted toward another with your words and with your actions and with your thoughts. Give it all to me because my son died for the brokenness of this world. And he says... Oh, that was like 1799. So, okay. <laughs> he says, Give it to me all. 
the violence that's in Lansing and the violence, Lansing is number one, is one of the, one of, is, is number one per capita, one of the most violent cities in our country. And the God of the universe says, this is the reason why I want you to weep over your sin because it was your sin, big and small, that actually took my son to the cross. And some people in the room say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't lie. I'm not that bad. And yet, the God of the universe says, we are all that bad. And he takes the broken pieces of our lives and he takes the broken pieces of our world and he says, if you let me and if you trust me, I'll begin to put it back together again. I'll deal with the trauma that you experience from the violence toward you. I'll, 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 I'll help you put the world back together, but I've already begun that. I've begun that in the beautiful cross of my son. I know for some people the cross is so offensive. Even to Facebook, it's offensive. Listen to this. A Franciscan University in Ohio recently posted a series of ads on Facebook to promote some of its online theology programs. But Facebook rejected one of them because it included a representation of the crucifixion. The monitors at Facebook said the reason for this rejection was that they found the depiction of the cross shocking, sensational, and excessively violent. The Franciscan University of Steubenville responded with a blog post that no doubt surprised Facebook. They agreed with Facebook's assessment. And this is what the Franciscan University blog post said. It says, indeed, the crucifixion of Christ was all of those things. It was the most sensational act in history. Man executed as God. It was shocking. Yes, God deigned to take on flesh and was, uh, and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And it was certainly excessively violent a man scorched to within, the inch, within an inch of his life, nailed naked to a cross and left to die all the hate of all the sin in all the world poured out its wrath upon his humanity. They went on to say that it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross, but it was his love for mankind. It was his love for you and me. It was his love for all of the sin that you've committed, that I've committed. It was his love that kept him there. It was God. He descended. He descended from the cross. He could have descended from the cross at any moment. No, it was love that kept him there, love for you and love for me and that we might not be eternally condemned for our sins, but that we might have life and life in his name. Say, Marvin, this is so heavy. 
should be. Because our sins are so heavy. Our sins are so heavy that it kept him on the cross. Like I'm talking about all of our sins. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the, the, the ones, the, the murders, the rapes. I'm not talking, I'm talking about literally every single sin kept him there. And, and we walk around in this all day long. And this is the reason why it is so important. It is so important that you and I understand this gospel. It is so important that you and I understand the reason why we do what we do. It is so important that you and I understand why we are in church and why we're connected to disciple-making groups. It is, it is important for you and I to understand why the whole church thing. It, it is because, here it is, it is because we, we don't want anyone, we don't want anyone who is without the saving knowledge of Jesus. Jesus Christ dying before they meet him. So it's not just about I go to heaven when I die, I'm good, yeah, God. No, it is about you and I bringing others with us. See, this is the reason why we cannot legislate depravity. It can only be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't make a law. You can't make a law to change the human heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Only one person can understand the human heart. That's the one who made it, and that's the one who can transform it. The gospel of Jesus. So what do we do with all of this, Marvin? What do we do with all of this? Well, let me give you, let me give you several things living in this paradox. Number one, lament in the presence of God. Weep and cry over the violence in our world. Ask God for divine tears. And the reason this is important, please hear me. The reason this is important, the moment you and I stop crying over violence, that is the moment we become desensitized. And the moment we become desensitized, that is the moment we will stop caring at all. And that will be the moment we will do nothing at all. And I know, I know there is something called compassion fatigue. So choose to weep over one thing, that I'm going to weep over children who are being trafficked, or I'm going to weep over um, uh, marriages, or I'm going to weep over domestic violence, or I'm going to weep over war. I'm going to weep over something. That, but, but, but one thing that's not going to happen, I am not going to stop crying over the violence in our world. Because if God cries, guess what? We ought to cry as well. So let's, let's individually and as a congregation begin asking God for divine tears. Divine tears for the violence in our world, but also divine tears for the violence that rests and lives in our own heart. So lamenting, lamenting the presence of God. Number two, repent of the violence in my own heart. All anger and all violence begins in our hearts 
Violence comes from, uh, from within and works its way out onto other people, whether verbally or physically. So give the Holy Spirit free reign in your life and mine. And answer this question, what makes you angry? And when was the last time you gave it to God? What causes you bitterness and resentment? And when was the last time you gave it to God? Because unrestrained anger, bitterness, and resentment, untamed bitterness and resentment and anger and rage, listen to Jack's message. Jack had a a great message. Untamed, unrestrained, that anger and bitterness is just looking for an opportunity. And guess what? Anger knows how to find it. Just let somebody cut you off in, in traffic. Whoa, take your parking spot. That's right. Take your, Maryland, take your parking spot. Like, I, I had that happen the other day. Some, I, they knew that I was about to get in that parking space. I just got ran off the road last night. She just got ran off the road the other last night. I'm sitting right here in front of you. I've been angry the whole time. She said, I got ran off the road last night and been angry the whole time. Wow, look at that. Wondering how she could get back. She, this is confession. Like, all that, like, why wouldn't you not want to be a part of Trinity Church? Why, why wouldn't you not want to be a part of this church, right? Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. I, I think everybody in this room can identify with that. And it's, it's not so much out there. It's what's happening right here. So repent. Say, God, I I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I I wanted to get back. So sorry that I even devised a plan to get back. Repent of the violence in my own heart. And three is actually kind of closely tied to two, which is see every human being as an image bearer. Ultimately, all violence is a violation and the marring of the image of God in another human being. So here's the key to violence. Not for you to go out and be violent, but uh, for to understand it. My ability to be violent toward you, something has to happen. And the one thing that has to happen I have to convince myself that you are not worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And if I can convince myself that you are not worth it, then I won't feel bad when I hurt you because you deserve it. Does that make sense? So that's the reason it begins with the image of God, that God says that every human being, no matter who it is, every human being is worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Worthy of compassion. And so I lay it bare before God and lay you bare before God to say, yeah, I don't like what they did, but they are created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. And then fourth and finally, participate in restoring shalom. Participate in restoring shalom. 
And part of the participation is that I wake up every day and I have to do more than cry and talk. I actually have to do more than cry and talk and march and pray, which I think is great. All of those things are great. And I think it's important to do that. But at some point, you and I, actually, we have to be peacemakers. You and I actually have to take some risk. You and I actually have to go to some of the more dangerous places and the violent places, whether it's in our neighborhood or our our own home or even searching our own heart. You and I have to do more than cry and talk. We have to actually participate in helping to rebuild God's world until he comes. One day he's going to come back and there will be no more crying. There will be no more violence. There will be no more rapes. There will be no more murders. There will be no more deceit. There will be no more gossip. One day when Jesus comes back, all of that will be gone. But until such time, he has now deputized you and me to enter into this broken world and to find, oh, so here's someone who's had an abortion, so I'll walk alongside them and love them and care for them. Oh, oh, here is someone over here who uh, has food insecurities and, and they're living in poverty. And so I will come alongside and help to rebuild the world in which God has created. Oh, here is someone who is dealing with domestic violence and being trafficked. I, oh, yeah, I, I, I will. And, and there's this sense where, where God says, by the power of my spirit, I want you to begin to... I want you to begin to put things back in order. And then one day, one day when my son comes back, he's going to put it back in order for good. He's going to take the brokenness of our world, and he's going to take the brokenness of our lives, and he is going to put it back together, and and there will be no more weeping and crying and violence because the God of heaven, the one who reigns now, will use, will put it back together. Until such time, you and I have work to do, starting with us. spilling over into our world. So I'll take the brokenness that violence has caused and I'll make something new. And you might be here today and your entire life feels like these shards. No hope, no peace. Say, Marvin, I want to look like that. But my, like, do you see the many pieces that are on this platform? And God says, that's the reason my son died. My son died. He placed God placed a cross, a beautiful, violent cross in the midst of a violent world. And out of that comes peace. That's the reason we celebrate Jesus' birth. God brings peace through his son. 
And if you're here today and you don't know that peace, our elders and prayer team members are going to come down front now. And man, they would love to pray with you. They would love to love on you so that you know that you're not alone. That God met our depravity with his mercy. And from that mercy comes life. So elders and prayer team members, if you can come forward now and, and uh, let's stand. Yeah, man, I know it's heavy. I know, know it's heavy, but our sins were heavy and deserved a, a response. A response, a divine response from a God who loves us. Let me pray for us. Yeah, God, I can, I can feel the heaviness in the room. And yet, it, man, it reminds us that, that our sins were heavy. Our sins were brutal. And that they drove you to the cross, Jesus. And around Christmas time, we feel the, the feels and the warmth of it. Yeah, man, we can't get a really soft little cuddly baby without recognizing that that baby grows up and he dies a horrible death. For us. And so I pray your blessing over your people. I pray that you would help us participate in your shalom, your peace, your bringing stuff back together this week. Pray you would help us to step into moments as being led by your spirit to bring peace to very chaotic and dark and maybe even verbally and physically abusive or violent situations. Pray we would have appropriate risk, take appropriate risk to love others with the same love you loved us with. Make us that kind of church that stands up for the weak, that stands up for the vulnerable. Help us to be that kind of church. We're not bullies and brawlers and fighters but where people can find us, fighting on our knees and praying on our knees, asking you to be our shield and our refuge and our only hope and our peace and our life in a very dark world. So we bless you and honor you and love you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next week.